This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. Today's show is a Paris Design Week special. We'll reflect on its opening days in the French capital, dropping past a showcase at Studio KO, chatting with the design collective Meet Met Met, and talking to designer Pierre Marie. All that and more coming up on Monocle on Design. Hello and welcome to today's show. Spread across the French capital, Paris Design Week, the official fringe event of the Maison and Objet trade show, takes place in 450 different venues. Spaces range from 17th century townhouses given a creative jolt by contemporary designers to intimate galleries in Le Marais. The event is currently in full swing and will run until this Saturday, the 16th of September. Naturally, the Monocle team got a head start on the action and visited its opening days last week. And one person on the ground for this show alongside me was Grace Charlton, who joins me in the studio now. Hello, Grace Charlton. Hello, Nick Minis. What an absolute pleasure uh, to have you in the studio and to spend a... uh, I only had a day in Paris, but you had a couple of days in Paris. But spend some time there with you during Paris Design Week. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I mean, to, to, to start, you, you really immersed yourself in a host of different events and cocktail parties. What were some of the highlights for you or what were some of the, the standout moments for you? I mean, there was just so much to see. Paris Design Week, like you said, has 450 venues to visit beyond the fair Maison et Objet. Um, and I thought one highlight, actually, that we saw together was Espace Gomin. Um, I really enjoyed seeing the exhibition of young designers from around France. And there's definitely, I don't know if you agree, Nick, but there's definitely a little bit of an aluminium and silver furniture trend taking over, as well as matte black furniture. What yeah, do you think? There, there were a lot of matte black chairs. But I, I think I think for me, it certainly, certainly agree with you there on the materiality side. But what I also kind of love about Paris Design Week is is then comparing it to, I guess, the other design weeks we see and report from across the world. So I really had a strong sense of, I guess, what I feel like contemporary French design is at the moment. It's, it's a lot of curving forms and, and I, I guess, very gentle shapes versus perhaps the more traditional rigid structures of, say, the Italian designers at the moment. That was just a big thing that I took away, again, from that, from that exhibition that we went to together. Curving forms, aluminium furniture, and, and, and yes, the use of the matte black finishes. I know you went to a few, and I know you tipped me off for a few. I'm wondering if you've got one in mind that I also enjoyed that you think was a highlight of the week. So a surprising highlight. I don't know. I didn't expect to enjoy it this much, but um, French travellers or travellers in France will know that SNCF is a, like a much-loved national train line and they showcase these new chairs and these like cute little yellow lamps designed by the Japanese design company Nendo. Um, and I don't know, I just dropped in. It was a very lo-fi exhibition, just two rooms, but it was it was so fun to get a little sneak peek of what the trains are going to look like in the future. So that, that's rolling out in 2025. And I like I like your choice of the word lo-fi there, because I, th- I feel like that is also the, uh, I guess, the, the, the feeling that uh, these designs from Nendo in- induce in people. Like it's, it's a very relaxed, subdued light that these, these lamps cast, which I think is a good thing, because how often are you on a train and it's bright light, like white clinical lighting it's maybe 10 p.m at night you're trying to re- relax a little bit and maybe have a have a cheeky glass of wine as, as you're hurtling across Europe and and you're just being flooded with this horrible horrible atmosphere so I, th- I, th- I think what was really powerful was the actual exhibition also reflected I guess the desired effect of, of this lighting 
Are you describing your 11pm Eurostar last night? Yeah, this is it. So I was very responsible, avoided the cocktails, came back, was in the office bright and early this morning, feeling fresh. Uh, but you have to stick around to uh, obviously f- see a few more galleries this morning. I know you checked out DS Gallery. Tell us a little bit about the, the showcase and, and the exhibition they had there. Yes, so DS Gallery is a small gallery north of, again, maybe a little bit lo-fi, north of Le Marais that usually showcases contemporary art, but they did something a little different for Paris Design Week. They put together Machon Beignet, which is an exhibition that is more of a conversation, really, between um, the Caribbean and France on basket weaving. I met the duo behind Dash and Zephyr, Florian Dash and Dimitri Zephyr, who put so much work into this exhibition. They even made a special newspaper to present all the research and interviews with basket weavers that went into this exhibition. Amazing. So Dash and Zephyr sort of pulled this together. But you've also got an interview with them that we're going to hear right now. We worked with Weaver from France and we were from Guadalupe and we established four different um, methods. So sometimes we were giving some uh, material that were from Guadalupe to French weaver and then they create from that. So the idea was creating bridge between these two practices of weaving that are really different in terms of techniques, in terms of materials, and to see what could come up with it. So it was kind of experimental. We didn't know what will be the output of this uh, exhibition. It was a process like this uh, for a year and a half. Through this basket weaving sort of collaboration between these two areas of the world, were there any like visual surprises? Maybe I can uh, speak about one example from a basket made in uh, in Lesant, which is a small island uh, in Guadeloupe. We decided to work with uh, this man because traditionally he made hats made from um, with, uh, bamboo and thread. And we, dis- we decided to the techniques and trying to to design a kind of um, basket with uh, metal, enfin, aluminium uh, pieces by using an industrial material to see another imaginary of the traditional shape and, and material. There is indeed a, a need for preserving those type of craftsmanship in the Caribbean because most of people that the craftsman people are um, like 65 up to 80. So it's something that's gonna disappear soon. Not a lot of people want to learn this craft. As in the opposite, uh, in uh, France, uh, there is a real status for a basket maker or weaver. There is a real recognition about like, if you are a weaver or basket maker, you're almost an artist. And there is schools and there is a lot of workshops. So we can see that there are much younger craftsmen in France than in the Caribbean. For us, it was uh, highlighting also the, the different practice that there is in the Caribbean and see that uh, there is a real potential to those practices and hopefully give a motivation to young people that we can also do different stuff than the only traditional way of doing things. And I think in France, like the weaver have understood that they migrating from like the real old baskets to more contemporary uh, design and art with those techniques. And also there is a lot of artists that contact the, the weaver to create pieces. So definitely more developed in France than in Guadeloupe. 
when you look at the different design cities, obviously Milano and uh, Eindhoven are far ahead from us. But I think we are getting there, especially I think this year uh, there is more stuff uh, for the Paris Design Week. But uh, yeah, we can feel this year it's getting a, a new wind somehow. So I would say it's scaling in the right direction and hopefully it will continue to grow and to be a real capital of design. I think Paris needs uh, more of the space for young designers because I, I think that there is a lot of talented uh, friends or talented newcomers and it's very difficult to, to create your own space when you don't have uh, the possibility to, to, to show your work. And for us, it's great because we are in the DS Gallery because we knew Thomas and Thomas was okay for exhibit the, the project. But this type of initiative is not common. That was Florian Dash and Dimitri Zephyr. And an absolutely beautiful exhibition as well. They were working with designers uh, from the Caribbean, but also across France. And I think that was a, a really strong theme of, of Paris Design Week. It, to me, it certainly felt like it was very French craft and design focused. Yes, it's a global event, but certainly the emphasis was on the creatives in, in, in the country itself. And I think I also saw that with some other exhibitions. I know we're going to throw to another interview now that you conducted. Tell us a little bit about the collective Meet Met Met. Yes, so Meet Met Met is a collective of designers. It was created by three friends called Elder Barbosa, Thibaut Huguet and Jean-Baptiste Anotin. They've put together this exhibition, which I don't think would fly in cities like Sydney or... Los Angeles, where people are a little bit more smoking adverse, but the exhibition they put together was called Feu, which is French for fire. And they asked 20 designers from France and beyond to reimagine the ashtray. And sometimes that even looks like how to teach children how to smoke. Yeah, look, I, I mean, it's slightly controversial. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm partial to a lung lolly in foreign nightclubs, and that's about it. Uh, that's the only time you'll ever see me pick up a, a death stick. But I, I think that this concept, the idea behind it, and I believe this is where the interview conductor went, the idea is that these are such ubiquitous objects, uh, the ashtray. You kind of see them everywhere across Europe. Again, maybe not in Sydney or Los Angeles, but you certainly see them on tables uh, across uh, you know, pubs and restaurants across London and, and the same in Paris. And, and what I like is that they were challenging designers to reimagine those forms. And, and I guess that's what we're going to hear you talking to them about now. Hi, I'm Jean-Baptiste Anotin uh, from Waiting for Ideas, and I'm a designer. Hi, I'm Thibaut Huguet. I'm a designer. Hi, I'm Helder Barbosa, and I'm a designer. We were actually looking for a subversive object of the daily life. We asked every designer to produce a piece, especially for the exhibition. The ashtray is quite small. It gives like a, a complete like um, creative, a, freedom. yeah, creative freedoms yeah. in terms of materials, shape, and everything, even concept. How did you go about like finding the designers? And they're all quite young as well. Yeah, we, we definitely wanted to focus uh, on the new international scene uh, of designers, such as ours, basically, same age, uh, different areas, and people we don't usually see in Paris also. David Shota, which is a Japanese designer, he lives, lives in Netherlands now. Uh, we have Laoitz Gale as well. Um, yeah, Korean guy, nice workshop. There are strong concepts behind some. For example, uh, I'm Villadrich. Um, they do not smoke, 
but they smoke during parties sometimes, so they wanted re- so, uh, an ashtray really social. Uh, basically, like a, it's a rounded, uh, yeah, rounded piece of aluminium where you can put your cigarette, uh, like yeah, gathering ar- around the fire basically, and um, you've got numbers on the on the ashtray, so you could find it again where you left your cigarette basically. It's a, a traditional piece uh, from uh, the, um, the decorative art uh, in France and. Uh, Around yeah, the world, it's really Persian, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's really eclectic. I mean, like uh, yeah. the selection we have here, we have resin, we have glass, we have concrete. Yeah. So like we, yeah, like we are really totally eclectic. different. We have a, a different uh, style. So we, we became friends two years ago, and we have our own studios, but it's with a different style, different approach of design, yeah, and uh, that's what we wanted to showcase here, basically. Okay, like we we're gonna do a, some um, annual. Uh, exhibition. That's the first one, and we we will showcase a new new stuff next uh, next year. Uh, we don't know what yeah. yet, but <laughs> we're gonna work yeah. on that. And what else is like a French object? You could do? Uh, Something around food, maybe yeah. ah. around baguette. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, Something definitely. to hold a baguette holder, maybe. Baguette holder. <laughs> really good. Yeah. Yeah. Garlic. Right. Yeah. Or something with picnics. Yeah. yeah. As well. Or wine. Or wine. Yeah. Wine. Yeah. wine. Yeah. That's really cliche. What we're saying. Pétanque. But that's <laughs> really, <laughs> really <laughs> cliche. <laughs> maybe pétanque. <laughs> that was meet Matt Matt talking to Monocle's Grace Charlton. We'll be right back after this. Searching for some bright new ideas to kickstart your summer. The Monocle Companion 50 Ideas for a Better World is our cheery new paperback and it's on newsstands now. Brimming with thoughtful essays, our new book is the ideal summer companion to snuggle up with on your sun lounger. Under the covers, you'll find insights on entrepreneurship. You'll learn from thinkers, authors and essayists. And it tackles everything from how to travel better to the difficulty of doing nothing at all and why words matter. From big topics to small intrigues, this is a book that offers inspiration, ideas, wit and wisdom. The Monocle Companion, 50 Ideas for a Better World, is out now. Buy your copy today at monocle.com shop or on all good newsstands. Next on today's Paris Design Week special, we're visiting the office of Studio KO. Working across the globe with outposts in Paris and Marrakesh, Studio KO's founders, Carl Fournier and Olivier Marti, are gradually expanding their firm's footprint. For proof, one can look to its newly launched range of objects, artworks and homewares. Code Loi de KO, which translates to the KOI, the collection is dedicated to handmade pieces which are all unique or made in small, bespoke batches. It's an approach that reflects Studio KO's unique eye for designing crafts. I caught up with the firm's founders to find out why this design studio, which is renowned for its architectural work, is expanding into the creation of bespoke objects. Hi, I'm Olivier. I am the O of the KO. I'm one of the two founders of, uh, of Studio KO. And I am Carl, so I'm the K of the KO and the other founders. I mean, Olivier, we're, we're here. It's, it's Paris Design Week and we're in your studio. You've unveiled, I guess, part of a collection that you've been working on uh, for the past year or so. Tell us a little bit about L'Eau de Cao. L'Eau de Cao is a collection and the expression of various collaborations with artisans that Carl has always been dreaming to develop 
with one of our talented collaborators, Nathalie, uh, for a bit more, more than a year. So Carl will, will be very good at explaining the objects. But as far as I can say, um, is that this relates very much to our practice, more in general, not just an object, uh, on the way we approach uh, architecture and design, because it's extremely related to the power of the hand, the singularity of characters, um, which are expressed in those objects, because each artisan um, expresses something extremely personal that could never be replicated, industrialized, or produced in a big quantity. And it, it speaks very much to our practice in architecture. Each time we were doing a project that was fabricated in this manual way, we were realizing how rich it was that the artisan doesn't only execute, he interprets. So it's really the idea that to fabricate um, an architecture, a drawing, a detail, a plan, or an idea is not only about executing what is specified, but is about adding on another layer um, which is a real interpretation. In other words, the moment it starts to be fabricated, it brings it somewhere else. When this project started to be in the stage of development with Carl and Nathalie, um, all the artisans that they entered in contact with were extremely um, positive and, 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 and enthusiastic because many of them knew our work um, as 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 probably ones of the few architects who really speak this language. So that's why the echo and the feedback from those guys and, and from everyone, all those, most of them are French artisans or European, um, were extremely easy and, and they, all of them, they responded yes. Even the ones who didn't want to produce, didn't want to sell, um, they were enthusiastic when we proposed this to them. I mean, Carl, tell us a little bit about the evolution. How did, how did this project grow and, and come to be? It's people that we met by, by chance, like, like for example, uh, Marie Lautrou, she, she, she lived in Paris, really close to, to us, and she, um, she's um, potter, so it's uh, sandstone, it's really simple material. Uh, it's not porcelain, it's not fragile, it's really um, rough. She asked uh, young uh, people uh, out of school to come to, to her workshop and to design and to draw on plates like this. So each plate is unique because it's, it's a drawing by a, a young child and they receive 10 euros by plate when the plate is sold. So it's something really local and even in a social uh, consideration, it's really something good to, to involve uh, people around you and especially young people so it's one of the reasons we decided to collaborate and it's uh, emotional yeah it has it's a, poetic it has and a it's social character because it participates to a community it's not only beautiful it's meaningful so yeah. it, it, it's building i guess community as much as it is making objects yeah. you, you talk about so many of these artisans are working by hand trying something a little bit experimental whether that's having uh, you know children i guess create the artwork that ultimately becomes uh, a, a plate or combining weaving with, with lacquer. How does this, I guess, also reflect your approach as a, an architecture and design studio? How important is that working by hand and that experimentation? It's always the same question of legacy and, uh, and uh, what you're going to do with the tradition we receive and uh, we receive from the past and how we can transmit that to other generation. And to be sure that it will be transmitted, we have to uh, use, each generation has to, to find a way to use this whole techniques. 
otherwise they disappear. So that's, that's the same in architecture. For example, in, in Morocco, we use a lot of clay and uh, earth. And um, because of that, it's technique that, that won't disappear. They were about two, but because of architects like us, maybe they will continue to next generation. So it's the same thing, but uh, apply to uh, simple objects. I mean, tell us about this, this lack of yeah, all. Yeah, this is a, a piece from uh, Lucie Damon. It's two obsessions she has. She's collecting old fabrics she finds everywhere on flea market or on auction and she's obsessed as well with old techniques of lacquer from Japan and we ask her to mix the two obsession <laughs> and try to see what it's gonna do and then we have this result so it's incredible it's textile it's a fabric but at the same time it's solid you can put things in it uh, because with the lacquer uh, techniques it becomes solid it's a really mix the, 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 the of two different things and at the end it's produced something really unique what's mm. interesting is that the lacquer because it's soaked in by the grid of the textile from far it looks like tar like oil so it almost looks like tar and when you get closer you understand it's not tar it doesn't smell anything as bad it's lacquer so it's it's the real quintessence of rough and rich it's lighter than it seems visually so it's a very surprising collection of objects yeah I think gradually there will be more um, uh, forehands pieces like the artisans creating for KO or KO designing for the artisans something done together that would be uniquely sold at Le de KO. My thanks to Carl Fournier and Olivier Marty. I'm still joined in the studio by Grace Charlton, who, I believe, has one more report for us from Paris Design Week. Grace, what have you got in your bag of tricks? So I met Pierre-Marie at his brand new and very beautiful office in the 10th arrondissement. Um, he's putting on an exhibition with Milan-based Demore Gallery called L'Amateur de Parfum that is super evocative. It's a collection of tapestries, stained glass and other like beautiful little hand-blown glass objects. Um, his style is so playful and French in a very art décoratif way. So I spoke to him about the inspirations behind these creations. Amazing. Well, he's he's a brilliant French designer. So, I mean, there's, I guess, uh, in addition to this exhibition, there's a host of other things to talk about. What did you cover off on? So I spoke to him about the inspirations, but also the state of design in France today creating a, a tapestry called uh, The Perfume Lover, L'Amateur de Parfum. Uh, and then from that tapestry, I created a, a set of three rugs and two pieces in hand-blown glass, as well as a screen in uh, stained glass. Can you maybe tell me about the inspirations behind it and like, the visuals? Because it's yes. very evocative and the name Amateur de Parfum means amateurs. Of perfumes, are you an amateur? <laughs> yes, I am. But also, for me, there is a direct link between the idea of perfume and the idea of decor. The way I see it, the way that uh, Dimore is also creating decor is always very evocative of a very uh, scented world, I would say. Uh, I was inspired by uh, an exhibition here in Paris in the uh, Cernucci Museum about uh, the ancient art of perfume in uh, China. 
it was um, very beautiful and opens it opens a new door for me uh, with a lot of imagery and objects uh, depicting this you know world of perfume and the tapestry for me is depicting the interior of a collector and a perfume amateur uh, that would collect uh, artifacts and objects in link with the perfume world, the tea the, also, and uh, the incense. In the composition, already you can find all of the elements that I will use as patterns for other pieces than the tapestry. So you have a huge flower bouquet in the composition, and I turned this one into uh, one of the rugs. The vapor uh, pattern also is in the center of another rug design, and also on the silk screen. Also, I took some very graphic and uh, geometrical uh, elements of an incense, bur incense burner called Aribal, and I made it into another rug design. So the idea is, with one tapestry that is very narrative and evocative, you can create a, a very complete and homogenic stories of pattern and play with them on different surfaces and different uh, pieces that all together will create an ensemble and a decor in itself. I think your style is very playful as well, so I, I don't know if you want to talk about like more generally like your ethos when it comes to design. I feel like maybe design can be quite serious, but you have a very like playful style. As you know, patterns and ornament is in the center of my uh, practice. It's really something I'm trying to uh, question and challenge all the time. As I often say, to play with ornament, you have to dare being a bit playful or sometimes even more like anecdotal, more than conceptual or trying to do something that speaks to everyone and that is absolute and is timeless. People are trying to always to create timeless uh, pieces or iconic pieces. Or, and me, I'm on, only trying to create pieces that are beautiful and that create that sort of excitement within me that I am then willing to share with others. And this is why maybe there is something very playful and even some would say childish about the way I, I uh, initiate a, a project. Do you think that's maybe in Because my next question is about France as maybe like a design hub on the rise and I feel like there's a big movement towards made in France and all of that. But mm -hmm. there's also like a really strong heritage of les arts décoratifs. Yeah. Um, is that is. something that you tap into? In English, design is a very generic and precise word. At the same time, in French, we use design, but it's not the same way. Design means really like uh, designing a chair or a car. And it has, for me, this very cold and very 90s, uh, 80s signification and uh, connotation. I'd rather say that I do decorative arts or uh, decoration than I do design in French. But in English, of course, I'm very comfortable saying I'm a designer because it, it also means someone who invents, someone who creates, someone who draws. But in French, it's very much narrow in a way what it means. And I've never really felt... Um, comfortable with this idea of uh, design. France has this very uh, important tradition of decorative artists and uh, decorators and it's true that it's also heritage that I want to take with me and that keeps on uh, inspiring me.
someone today earlier was saying that Paris Design Week this year feels a little bit bigger, a little bit more important. It how, does. How do you... And yeah, it's true. There are a lot of uh, participants and uh, it's interesting because the proposition and the dialogue becomes richer. We can only be happy about that. I feel that also more people would come uh, from abroad, which is always important that same idea that we need uh, a lot of exchange and uh, ID exchange, cultural exchange. I feel like this year is uh, like a new step for uh, Paris Design Week and uh, uh, I'm only uh, glad about it. That was Pierre-Marie in conversation with Grace Charlton. Uh, I mean, Grace, closing remarks. We've, we've got a, a few moments to wrap up. Any big takeaways from Paris Design Week? I mean, just how lovely is Paris, especially when it comes alive with all these vernissages. It's, it was a hot time to be in a city. It was There was a mini heat wave or canicule, as we would say. Um, but yeah, what did you think, Nick? I mean, for me, it's, it's more about the energy that you get from, uh, I guess, bringing all these people in the same industry together. Yes, it's about seeing the, seeing the work, but it's also about making connections and meeting people. And I know we talked about me not having any cocktails, but I did sneak in a few before I got on the Eurostar. And I, I think that was just really nice, connecting with old friends, meeting new designers and, and, and new faces. So I still think there's huge value in these events uh, in terms of unearthing talent and, I guess, for us as, as journalists, finding perhaps new stories to, to share and tell. That's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. Today's show was produced and edited by Maylie Evans with assistance from Sammy Sweezy. I'm Nick Manise, and you can reach me on nm at monocle.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>